0: came across this uh s- story um, uh, reading a book and i came across a story uh recently there's a, a man by the name of stanley jones uh he was born in the late um it was i think he was born in the mid 1800 uh, 1880s 1884 i don't remember exactly when the date was but somewhere like that he was born in baltimore maryland of all places he was born locally right here um, I'm coming to you live this morning, not too far from Baltimore, Maryland. So he was born here in Baltimore, Maryland, and he was educated here in America. Sometime in his life, I don't remember the details uh, of the, it, but sometime in this period of time, he felt a call of God, the pull of God, the direction of God, to uh, become a missionary to India. Uh, not to the Indiana, the... the uh, the state, but India, the country, and so at uh, um, um, part of his life, he got on a sh- on a on a on a ship and sailed across the sea and landed in India. And um, obviously, being an American and having to adapt into that vast uh, culture, that was a part of that. Even though India had um, uh, had a lot of influences, uh, it was still a very it was completely different than um, the culture that he was used to. So he's trying to bring Christ into a um, into a foreign culture to him. It wasn't foreign to the Indian, but a foreign culture to him. So anyways, long story short, in the process, he became good friends with Mahatma Gandhi. And actually, his conversations with Gandhi um, turned into some books that became very influential in the life of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, read some of Stanley Jones's books that were his conversations with Gandhi. And in his conversation, and I told all this to really get to this point, but in this conversation that Stanley Jones, who was a Christian missionary, had with Gandhi back and forth, Gandhi made the statement to him in conversation as he was expressing to Gandhi his desire to spread the gospel into India, and Gandhi said this if you're going to make headway in India with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said that the form of Christianity that you are sharing needs to look more like Jesus and less like his followers. I need to let that sit in for a moment. That's a good sila moment, and I'm going to repeat it again for double sila. He said, if you want Christianity to take hold in India, then the form of Christianity that you are presenting needs to look a lot more like Jesus and a lot less like his followers. Now, the interesting part about that whole statement was the fact that we can trace back through history that when the disciples scattered after the day of Pentecost and took the gospel to the four corners of the known world at that time, that the uh, disciple Thomas, Thomas, the same one who asked if he could put his hand and uh, in, 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 Jesus asked Thomas to reach out and touch his hand touch his side, that Thomas, that same Thomas, Thomas is credited for bringing the gospel to the shores of India, beginning in southeast uh, southwestern India and spreading across the southern part of India. It is attributed and traced back in Indian culture and in Christian historical data that Thomas brought the gospel to India. So there was this 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 truly amazing sharing of the gospel that was put into the to put into the uh, to, in the culture of india uh, almost 2000 years prior to stanley jones arriving so when stanley jones ar- uh, arrived on the shores of india bringing jesus to india for some for some in the indian culture was not a new concept because jesus had been there since 2000 when thomas brought the message of the cross to india but the problem was that over the period of time and over the over the over the centuries That it stopped being more about Jesus and had been convoluted into this mess of mixed metaphors, mixed messages, mixed belief systems to the point where it had lost its impact and had lost its ability to connect and had become so diluted that when Gandhi told Stanley Jones, if you want to make an impact on this country with the gospel, then your form of Christianity has got to look a lot more like Jesus and a lot less like his followers. Meaning that there were followers at the time. You can go back and read some of Gandhi's statements. That there were people in India at the time that confessed to be followers of Christ, but did not match up with any of the attributes, any of the claimed attributes of Jesus Christ. And so, in response to them, he said, "If you want real Christianity in the and look more like Jesus, and a lot less, a lot like, a lot less like his followers." Now, that seems sort of like a a little bit of a uh, 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 a a a a. Wild statement. However, I would like to echo the words of Gandhi here today. I'm not quoting or or, or, uh, uh, um, or giving credence to Gandhi, but I'm going to use his statement because I think it's very true to the world we live in today. We are sitting here today in the United States of America, for those of you that are here And we have some friends that join us from outside uh, in other countries. And I'm sure, actually, if you dig in a little bit, you'll find that the other countries you're watching with are similar to this degree as we are in America. But we sit here today in America. The population of America hovers somewhere around 350 million. I can't remember exactly what it was at this point in time today. But it hovers somewhere around the 350 million mark. And so we sit here today In America, 350 million Americans, we have access to all the technology, we have access to all this beautiful thing. Here we are sitting on a Sunday morning, I'm sitting to you uh, live from my basement, and I'm able to come into your home right where you are on the device you're holding in your hand or up on your screen that's uh, on the wall or on your media cabinet, and I'm able to sit there and come straight into your living room, and we're able to have this intimate one-on-one conversation, just you and I, how awesome that is and how beautiful beautiful that is but we live in a country where 350 million people live and today statistically it has been proven now through numerous studies that today America has finally crossed the threshold and is now considered to be a secular country the same country that values were started upon the fact that we were, a, we were, we were founded upon the desire to practice and, and serve and worship God through freedom of religion that brought many of the early settlers to America and that we were founded on the basis of God and on our money. We talked about this last week. It even says in God we trust. We have all these things attributes to our to our history, but we sit here today and we are a secular country. If you pull 10 people on the street and ask them about their viewpoint, six or more would identify themselves as a non-Christian or non-believer of God. You would only find less than 50% of people that it would test to have some kind of belief, some kind of relationship, or some kind of confessed following of Jesus Christ. And we sit here, and every day, every day, that number gets greater. It's not getting less, but it's getting greater. There's every day more and more people are becoming more secular. We're being more and more pulled down, the humanistic ideology, the self-understanding we're being pulled farther and farther away from the truths of the word of God. We're being pulled farther and farther away. Uh, where, where, where love, uh, used to reign, now it's division that reigns and where, Faith used to reign, now fear and torment and all these things and depression and everything its sort of beginning to take hold in this country because we're becoming more and more secular. We're inundated by humanistic ideologies. We're we're, we're inundated by the fact that man can fix his own problems and that everything has a solution through a program or a policy or a law or this. And because man is so bright and so brilliant, man got us into this and man can get us out and we continue further and further to dig ourselves deeper in a hole. This is not a political statement. So I'm not making this. This is not a Republican or Democratic statement. It's just a statement of fact. You can go online, just Google if you have time, Google the national debt clock and watch how the debt of this country is racking up at an alarming rate as it continues to go up why because we spent our way into debt and because we are smart we're spending our way out of debt by getting more into debt but because of the fact we are a secular nation we have only come to one solution and that is the only way to fix us is by us fixing us doesn't work right And here we are as the as the church of the living God. We believe in the power of the name of Jesus. We believe in the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. We believe in the transformation of the Spirit of God working in us and transforming us into the image of Christ. We believe in the redemptive power, the forgiveness of of baptism in the name of Jesus with the washing and removing of sins through the confession of faith in the name of Jesus and receiving Him to your life and receiving the Spirit of God with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We have all these things we believe and we talk about, we read the scripture. and we hear the impact that Jesus made the Gospels. We see the impact that the early church had on the world where it was stated of the men that would walk down the streets. They would say these are ignorant and unlearned men, but we recognize one thing, that they have been with Jesus. And they saw some of these men. They looked at them and they looked at them and kind of with a little bit of surprise they go, wow, these are the men who have turned the world upside down? These are the guys? Because it wasn't about education. It wasn't about their pedigree. It wasn't about the clothes they were wearing. It wasn't about how many followers or likes they had on social media it was the fact that they had they had come to the place where they reflected christ to such a degree that jesus christ made the impact through them but nowadays unfortunately we've got more celebrity preachers than we do have the impact of jesus christ now there are people preachers and i'm not speaking any 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 ill of Any of them as far as maybe their sincerity, even though some of them I highly disagree with their message. I don't believe some of their message is found in the Bible. I don't believe God's all about prosperity and God's all about blessing. Because you know what? There's some of them that preach, have your best life now. But you know what the problem is? I'm going to heaven. I don't want my best life now. Because if I'm going to heaven, this is my hell. So if I'm going to have my best life now, where am I going after this? So, thank you for 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 a little fellow down there in Houston that told me I can have my best life now, but you can take your best life now and you can have it because I want Jesus now because when I get to heaven, I want my best life there in heaven because where Jesus is that's heaven to me so again, I'm not knocking or or calling ill to anyone, but the point is the doctrine and the place where Christianity has started to get to is, in order to impact the world, we've become a lot less like Jesus, and we started to move further and further and further into becoming more like a of a message that sounds good for the world. We talk about prosperity, we talk about winning the spiritual lottery, that God wants to bless you, that God wants you to prosper, that he wants you to fulfill all your dreams and vision he wants you to rise to the top he wants you to be all these great things he wants you to he wants you to not have a bad day he wants everything in your life to work out the problem with that my friend is it doesn't ring true in scripture read the word of god tell me how all those things ring in scripture we have the story of stephen who preached one message and was stoned he didn't live he wasn't living prosperous he didn't have the stone stop he preached one message and was stoned we have Paul who lists in Corinthians a massive list of things he went through, from hunger to beatings to shipwreck to, to uh, all just horrible things he went through. We find that all of these men were martyred and Peter was crucified upside down and others were thrown off the temple and a horrible death that they experienced. And saying all that to say is that if we're chasing a secular God... We're not going to impact this world. If we're trying to impact this world by be giving them the message of Jesus Christ wrapped in modern day understanding, then we're losing the impact. And so I go back to the statement that Gandhi made, because I have a there's a there's a there's a fresh burning desire in me that began in the middle of all this quarantine. I can remember the day it happened. It was a Friday afternoon when God began to deal with me on this. This was back. In April, when God began to 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 make this shift in my heart, and uh, uh, and and it was just churning on me, and uh, um, God has been getting my focus to change because there are so many people out there that are hurting, so many people that are crying to know who Jesus is, and guess what, my friend, He's not coming back again yet. Jesus is not coming back again. He's not robing himself in flesh, coming down, and is going to stand on the, on, on, on the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and declare, I am Jesus Christ, follow me. He hasn't done that and will not do that. There is coming today, the Bible says, when he will return, but he will return for his church. He will not turn. For the lost, he will return for those that are in the bride of Christ. He came once to seek and save that which was lost. He came on this earth. John 3, 16 said that God so loved the Lord that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came to us. He robed himself in flesh. He came and did that 2,000 years ago. He's not doing that again because he died on a cross. He was resurrected again after being three days in a grave. He ascended into heaven. And here's the point to that. Who did he leave when he ascended? He told that group that was standing there that day on the mountain of Olives as he ascended. He said, go to the Jerusalem and pray until you're endued with power on high. That you become witnesses. Witnesses witnesses of me to all and he listed a series of places that got further and further and further out and I say all that to say that Jesus Christ has left you and I you and my my friend to be the reflection of Christ to this world and if we're going to impact this world if we're really going to see this world impacted if we want to see the impact on our friends our neighbors our country like we believe the gospel and the word of God can then we have got to take a hard look at ourselves. What do we look like today? I'm not talking about the physical appearance. I'm not talking about the physical appearance. I'm not saying, are you dressed in all black and you're all dressed in all ashes because you're so holy? I'm not talking about your physical appearance. I'm talking about whose image are you reflecting? The problem is nowadays, modern Christianity says, "Let God be a part of your life. Let God come in your life. Let God bless your life. Let God bless your effort. Let God bless this. Let God." And we've made God an accessory. We've made God a rabbit's foot. We've made God a lucky penny you carry in your pocket. And we've we've demeaned the power of Jesus Christ into being this. Hey, follow Jesus because if you follow Jesus, He's going to make your life blessed. He's going to. And God has not come to your life to be your life companion and your life coach. Now I'm not trying to, I didn't come on, I'm going to take my glasses off here because I wasn't trying to be hard. I'm trying to get someone to hear what I'm saying because you've been feeding a lie and you've been listening to a lie. God's not trying to be your life coach. He's not trying to get you up around, okay, you can do it. All right, you go be your best you today. You, you put on your best smile. You go show that boss you're the best employee so you can get that raise. Because I'm gonna give you that raise. I'm gonna bless you with that raise so you can now have more money for bigger vacations, bigger houses, bigger cars. You're not going to you're not going to Hershey Park this year. You're going the family and all expense plays to Disney World because I'm blessing you. That's what we expect. And we forget that Jesus said, anyone who tries to save his life will lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake shall find it. We forget those parts of scripture. Jesus said, if you're trying to save your life, if you're trying to make me a part of your life so you can save your life, you can preserve your life, then you're going to lose your life. But if you would lose your life for my sake, give up control of your life for my sake, you will win. You'll find it. You'll have life. So the question comes down to, is the fact that we're not having impact on the world around us because the Bible somehow is old and antiquated? Has the Bible finally, after so many years of profound impact, has the Bible finally met its expiration date? You know what I mean. You go to the store, you go to grab the milk, what's the first thing you do? First thing you do is probably select your grade of milk. Are you a skim? Are you a 1%? Are you 2%? Are you a whole milk? Maybe you're a soy. Maybe you're almond. But you pick your selective grade type of milk and the next thing you do is you check the expiration date or if you are like my wife she will check to see which expiration date is the furthest away even if that means she has to go to the back of the fridge to get it out of the back because we understand that expiration date has a purpose because after the end of the expiration date that milk has the potential to spoil and will go bad so my question to you today is pick off the Bible off the shelf, dust it off, flip through the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You can scan through every chapter and every verse. And if you can find it, God bless you because I don't believe it's in there. There is no expiration date on the Word of God. God did not say, here's the Word and it's good till, uh, you know, December 31st, 1999. But when you hear the hit the year 2000, it's over with because by that time you will have intellectually surpassed the power of the word and by that time you don't need the word of God, you have your own word in you. The Bible doesn't have an expiration date. In fact, the Bible is very clear that the Bible you can't separate the word of God from God. In John he said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. If that's the case, the Bible also says that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So therefore, if we if a equals b and b equals c, then a equals c. So if God is the Word and the Word is God and God never changes and he's the same yesterday and today and forever, then A equals C, which means that the Word is the same yesterday, today and forever. That means the Word of God does not have an expiration date. You say, well, I don't know about all that. There's some stuff in the Bible that just seems old and antiquated and a little barbaric for me. That's because the Word of God was never meant to be something that was descriptive of the exactitude, but it was a description of the nature and the principles of God and the nature and the sinfulness of man. And yes, sometimes the Bible went to great lengths to show that. There are times the Bible is very descriptive, some very horrible things in the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament, of the description of the deplorable nature of man. There's never been a time where man has been left alone, where man did not try to seek out its lowest state. So I said all that to say this, is that the word of God still is true, and we've established the fact the word of God has not changed. Therefore, why are we not seeing the impact on the world today like they saw in the first century? It's my desire as pastor of Antioch West for us to be a first century church expressed in a 21st century world. I don't care if the year's 2020, approaching 2021. I remember, I mean, come on, all of us remember back in the, back in the day, we thought by 2020 we'd be flying around on magical carpets by this point in time. We would have, you know, bio suits. Some of you never remember, never imagined you'd still be driving that same old car you've been driving for thirty years, so we haven't achieved the 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 utopic state we thought we would by twenty twenty but it's twenty twenty we're sitting here today, and we look at the Word of God, and I want us as a body I desire as a body for us to be a First century church with a first century impact expressed in a 21st century world. So what was a first century church? What did they have that were missing? Well, we have things they didn't have. We have Facebook, YouTube. We have live stream. Can you imagine what Paul would have done with live stream? Can you imagine what he would have done? Can you imagine what the Apostle Paul could have done with Facebook and live stream and YouTube? Goodness gracious. Can you imagine that? Dearly beloved Romans, Ro- my fellow Romans, I'm coming to you live from uh, Corinth today. God bless you. Hello, Philippi. It's, can you imagine what he would have been able to do? Yet with no modern transportation, pre- with walking pretty much everywhere he went, with the occasion of a ship that would take him through seas that ended up in shipwreck on several occasions. Outside of that, he walked everywhere. In order to get a letter to a church was a very painstaking process. There was no UPS. There was no FedEx. There was no U- USPS. There was no email. It was simply hand courier with one parchment of paper that was very labor-intensive to be able to write and to transport. And yet, through that, the impact was beyond belief. We even know that the impact reached to the highest place of society and political power because at one point, Paul said, greetings to those in the house of Caesar. Wow! That Paul with his limited capability, his limited resources compared to ours, was able to impact all the way into the house of Caesar. Some scholars have have extrapolated based off that statement and the study of that statement that he was referring to one of Nero's wives. That one of his, one the wife of Nero or one of the Female companions of Nero is who Paul was referring to. How amazing would that be? How amazing would that be today if if, if the impact that that had at the time, we can't even equate it today because we 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 have we're a world of many countries but at the time in that part of the world it was rome there was no other there was no that was it it was just rome everything was controlled by rome but paul's message with limited capabilities reached to that height how and why did they have more of god than we have access to no cuz i just said to you the bible says he's the same yesterday and today forever so he didn't have more access to he didn't have more jesus he had limited technology I I, don't, I mean, he was a smart guy, but I don't think he was the... He wasn't Einstein. It wasn't like he had the greatest intellect of all time. He had limited all these limitations, all these things. In fact, it was interesting that Paul uh, was in Galatia, and Galatia had an eye an, a, an eye doctors in there, and Paul was stricken blind on the Damascus Road. If you remember the story in Acts where where the light shined and blinded him. So there's some has has said that he basically uh, battled with sight the rest of his life. In fact, there's several other scriptures that allude to this struggle um, of being able to see, physically see. So he had all this, plus the guy struggled with sight. He couldn't even see that well. All these limitations. And oh, by the way, did you know Paul had to work a side gig? Do you know that? Go back and look. Do you know in Corinth, Paul was a tent maker? He had to work a side gig with tents. I believe he worked with Aquila and Priscilla, if I remember correctly. He made tents with them. So the guy wasn't even able to do this. He had so many limitations, but yet impacted this entire region. Was he somehow better than all of us? Absolutely not. But he understood something and saw something. Because we read it last week, and I'll say it again. Jesus said, Mark chapter 8, 34, If any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Go back and read what Paul said. He constantly said, I die daily. I must decrease, that he must increase. Paul was desiring to get so dead in Paul that he could live in Christ. So when you saw Paul, you did not see Paul, but you saw Jesus Christ. The problem is today, we need more Christians that look like Jesus and a lot, like, a lot less like his followers. We have too many Christians that are pattering themselves after other Christians or people they see, Christians, celebrity Christians they see on TV. And the problem with that is we're getting further and further and further away from the original. We're getting further away From the original. We're to be like Christ. I want to read you a scripture here. This morning. James chapter 4. And it kind of echoes a little bit. What we read in Peter. A couple weeks ago. James chapter 4 verse 6 says. But he gives a greater grace. Not just grace. A greater grace. A more abundant grace. I mean he didn't say that he gives grace. He gives great grace greater grace abundant grace i mean it's good it's great to have access to grace but james says there's a greater grace i mean a more abundant grace but here's the clause therefore it says god is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble then he gives the solution here we go he gives that but here he says here's the here is the steps submit therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of God and he will exalt you. Now that seems somewhat like a really interesting series of events. Because ultimately, if you look at that scripture... We want to interpret that scripture in reverse. Okay, so follow me again. Let's go through the steps and I'm going to show you how we interpret it versus the way James wrote it. So James said, here's the steps, ready? Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, he will flee. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, we love the last part. We love anything that talks about us being exalted and blessed. We're like, ooh, give me some more of that cotton candy. That tastes good. We love that part. So when we read that verse, whether we do it consciously or subconsciously, we interpret it backwards. And let me show you how we interpret that. We start with the exalt part. So, okay, well, I like the exalt part. Well, okay, well, maybe you can pull this up and you can look at it later if you can't look at it now. But it's James chapter 4, verse 6 through 10. So we're, we're, we're going to interpret this the way we want to interpret it. So, okay, I got to exalt. So what's, what? I got to be exalted. I want to be exalted. Okay, I want God to exalt me. I want God to bless me. So here what i going to do. Humble myself. Okay, I got that. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to humble myself. All right. I gotta turn my gloom into joy. So that means turn that frown upside down, put a smile on your face. Get that gloom off your face, have joy. I gotta turn my mourning into laughter. So that means I gotta start doing a lot more laughing and a lot less crying. Oh, I gotta weep and mourn less and stop being miserable. Okay, I don't know how to do that, but I'm gonna give my best shot. Then um, I gotta stop being double minded. All right, that's a little hard, but I'll try. I gotta purify my heart. Uh, so, I mean, I, I got a lot of stuff I got to stop doing because I don't know. Uh, I got to cleanse my hands. All right. I got to do that. Okay. I got to get real pious. I got to ask God to forgive me because I got, I got a lot of stuff here. Okay. Let's stop. All right. I got that. All right. So, humble. Stop laughing. I got to start laughing more. Uh, I got to be. Stop being miserable uh what was the other thing oh i gotta be i can't be double-minded and and i and i gotta stop being a sinner okay got those things all right what's next i got it oh got it. here we go this is going draw near to god he'll draw near to you so i gotta get closer to jesus so i gotta I mean i gotta read my bible and i gotta start praying and i gotta start fasting every once in a while and i probably should go to church when i'm able to if i'm not too tired and i gotta do these things because i gotta get closer to him because that's i mean i gotta get exalted that's the part of it i got want to i want to be exalted all right. So what's next here? I gotta make sure I get this right. What's that? Okay. Next one. <gasps> Ooh, this is a good one. I gotta. I gotta resist that devil. He will flee. So let me find some devils to knock into teeth. Come on, let's go. You and me. Hey, you, 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 Mr. Satan, hide behind that rock. You and me. Let's go. Because the Bible says I'm supposed to resist you and you'll flee because ultimately I want to be exalted. And then finally we get to at the capstone of the entire process. Finally, when we've gone through all those stages, well, however long it takes us, then we get to the end. And we finally reach the pinnacle of exaltation is we submit ourselves to God. Ah, we have reached it. I've finally reached the point where I can now submit myself to God. And God, I submit before you as if I am standing before the king waiting for me, waiting for him to reach down his sword and to knight me. And I'm no longer Joel Wright, but I am Sir Joel Wright. I have reached the pinnacle of exaltation in God. Ta-da! I didn't even have coffee this morning. I'm fired up. I'm a little loony and fired up. That's the way we interpret that. And we wonder why we never get there. We don't feel exalted. We certainly have trouble resisting the devil, and he certainly doesn't flee very much. He might leave us alone, but he ain't doing no fleeing. We can resist all he wants, but let's be honest, he kind of looks at you like, yeah, Yo, Rick, is that the best you have? Seriously. And with all these things, we do, but we have no impact at all. And the Bible says, if you exalt, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So we never get to the exalting. We never get lifted up, not in ourselves, not in our own, but we never get lifted up to the image of Christ to draw people in. So they never look at it and it's like, wow, you're different. They look at you like, what's the big deal? What, you know, you're just like me. And then we say, well, you gotta come to church. And they look at you and go, let me be honest with you. If coming to church is gonna make me like you, you can take your church. And and you can have it. Because let's be honest, if coming to church is going to make me like you, I really don't really want to go. You know, seriously. I know this is a silly illustration. I'm trying to find it. I, I try to find illustrations. that don't offend anybody. But let's be honest here today. If I was selling you a tanning product today, I'm sitting here going, hey, try this tanning product. It will make you look like golden bronze. I'm as white and pasty looking today with this black shirt on you're not buying it for me because I don't look like the product I'm selling. We're trying to sell something to the people that we're selling something. They're going, yeah, but why are you selling that? Because you don't match up. We're trying to sell people, look, come to Jesus. You'll have peace and joy and righteousness. I don't have any of those, but trust me, I think if you can get them. I don't know how to get them. I haven't got them yet, but the Bible says you can have them. You can have peace. I don't have peace, but you can have it. But you can have it. You know, we talk about people. If you have, if you have, if you're struggling with fear, come to God. He can take care of that fear and give you faith. I I have fear, but don't don't mind me. I you know I have struggle, I have doubt, I have, you know, you can walk through whatever you're going through, and God can, God can, God can 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 hold your hand. He can be the God of comfort. You know, my my world's falling apart. And I'm ready. To, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to to quit. But don't don't mind me. We're we're telling people something that's not true. We're telling people, let's be honest, one thing it's true: this world is craving, craving the real thing. We're inundated with just so much fake. I mean, come on, social media is so full of false, fake. Lies and pictures and Photoshop and extra filters and all this stuff. There's filters that can give me a, give me rabbit ears. I don't have rabbit ears, but social media says I have rabbit ears. There's filters that can give me all kinds of different looks. And we put that stuff, and therefore that's the image we are portraying. But our world doesn't want fake. They want real. Now, I sit here today. Do I have problems? Absolutely. Am I perfect? Oh, baby. You have no idea. I'm so far from perfect. If everything in my life going right, no, absolutely not. If if everything in my life is perfect, no. But I sit here today and I I am so thankful that I know who Jesus is and I'm so thankful that He knows who I am and I'm so thankful today that He calls me by my name I'm so thankful today that I can feel His presence whenever I want, wherever I am I'm so thankful today that I sit here with a forgiven heart I sit here today not bound by the lies of this world I sit here today not, not being inundated by all kinds of junk in my life but I sit here today free not because of my perfection not because I've earned it but because of the goodness and grace of God and the fact I know Him the world wants somebody real how do we get there? we've got to look at this verse start by looking at these type verses in the order in which it was written it's got to start first with submitting ourselves to God we've got to submit ourselves to Him I talked about it on Tuesday Talks. You can go back and watch it, it several weeks ago. I talked about the difference between power and authority. The devil has power, but he has no authority. So you can't resist the devil with just simply power. You can match power power all you want. But he looks at that and goes, I've seen power before. You don't have power I've never seen before, but what he cannot stop and what he is scared to death over and the Bible says that he even he, he knows this authority and he trembles. The Bible says literally Satan trembles. He trembles not at the power, but he trembles at authority and how do I get authority? I had to be submitted to God. And James starts off with God as opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. And you know what? Peter tells us what the formula for being humble is. Peter says if we humble ourselves, we do this. We cast our care upon him because he cares for us. We cast our anxiety and fears. Meaning, to be submitted to God means I have to give up control. I just said it. I said that word. Oh boy, the microphone's right up here. I'll whisper it. I just said that word. Control. Suddenly 15 people stopped watching because I said the bad word control. We want to be in control. We want to have control over our destiny. We want to be in control. We want to be in control. Because we've been through hurt, we've been through pain, we've been through difficulty, and we feel like the best way to protect ourselves is be in control. We want to be in control. We want to be in control of our destiny. We want the American dream, which basically means I can control and be a part of anything because I can achieve anything. And it's the greatest lie because everyone that is in control really is completely out of control. Are you trying to control your life? Are you trying to control the circumstances of your life? Are you trying to control? If you're controlling, you're not submitted. I don't mean that to be harsh. It's the word of God. You're not. If you're mad at me, you're, you're not mad at me. You're mad at God. So I'll sleep well tonight because you're not mad at me. It's God. Being in control is the biggest issue a lot of us have. We want to be in control. We, or 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 we 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 hide it. We, we, we give God, we let God have, we let God do it, but we want to tell him how to do it. Now, God, I want you to do this. Lord, I believe you're going to do this. However, I would like for you to do it. Bah, 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 bah. And then when he doesn't do that, we absolutely just pitch a fit. And unfortunately, I am not above. Pitching my own little fits, we, I've had my own my 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 share of tenter tenter ten, what's that word? Tenture tantrums. That's not the word, is it? Temper tantrum. What's my? Uh, it's just temper tantrums. Temper tantrums. Peter biter. Peter up Temper tantrums. I'm gonna get it some days. If I keep talking fast enough, I'll just start speaking in tongues. Temper tantrums. Thank you. I think 15 people just commented in the box down below. It's temper tantrums, man. Jeez, get it right. I'm sorry, okay? I'm talking to a camera. I get a little loony every once in a while. No, I'm just joking. Temper tantrums. I'll get it out there. I've had my fair fair share of temper tantrums and tantrum tempers. I've had them all. They don't work. Man, I've gotten so mad at God because he wasn't running my life the way I thought it should be ran. I've gotten so frustrated, God, because He did this instead of doing that, and God was doing this, and God did, this and took away this, and didn't do this, and gave me this, and blah 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 blah, blah. And I was reminded last week in one of the life groups we spoke, Sister Lori orders brought it back up again. One of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bibles when Jesus was asked, John the Baptist was struggling. John the Baptist, who had led the way for Jesus Christ, found himself in prison facing execution and he asked somebody he said go ask Jesus is it really true is it really true is it true you know I think he was expecting hoping that Jesus would show back up wave his magic hand and the doors of the jail cell would fall off and John would walk out triumphant arm in arm with his cousin Jesus and they would go hang out together and he'd be you know right there at the top of the food chain and um they come to Jesus and said hey you know John's asking for you and they want he wants to know some answers to some questions and and uh, because God's a god of love right he said oh well, let me go talk to him myself where's John where's John at let me go give him a hug tell him it's going to be okay <laughs> Jesus gave some of the hardest words he'd ever given to anybody he said tell John the blind see the deaf hear, the dead live. Yes, it's true. And then he said, tell him this. Blessed is he who is not offended in the way that I run his life. Whew. Can you imagine being the guy that had to deliver that message? Can you imagine being the guy that had to give that message? Here's John the Baptist sitting in his Jail cell waiting execution. He died by having his head chopped off. Imagine me and the guy that delivered that message. John's sitting there. Then "Did you tell him? Is he coming? Is he getting me out? He, you know, he's my cousin. Remember? You know, you know, our moms go way back. You know, is he coming to get me? You know, tell him. Tell him, what did he say? Is he? I know he's probably you know doing some miracles. He's he's coming tomorrow, right, or something like that? Yeah, is he coming? Yeah, you know, you know, uh, you know, I, I got fresh, I fresh, I got fresh camel skin, and I've had my fair share of locusts, but you know, I'm ready to go. I mean, is, is my cousin coming? Is Jesus coming? Where's he at? Um, John, he's not coming." What do he means not coming? Is he, is he is he busy? Is he is he gonna send somebody? He's sending somebody. He's sending you to tell me you you you've got some kind of special power, right? He 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 blessed you with some kind of anointing to lift these jail cell doors, hope, right? You, you know this is a joke, right? No, no, John, he's not coming. Well, doesn't he know that I'm about to to that I, I could die here soon? They're, that 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 they're gonna kill me? I I mean, does that know? What about all the times I was out there in the wilderness and I preached repentance and, and and by the way, who baptized him? Huh? What gratefulness I get. You know, I remember that day. I mean he came in the water. I was down there at the Jordan and I was doing some, you know, baptizing, and he came and walked, and and I said to him that day, I, I was amazed. I said, I knew who he was, and I said, I told him, I said, I, 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 you are the son of God. I mean, I can't even, I, I'm not even able to latch your shoes. And you know what he said to me that day? He said that I was to baptize him. And you won't believe it that day. You, you, you weren't there, but I, I, I know I've told you this story before, but I baptized him and, and and this voice came out of heaven and said, this is my son in whom I well pleased. And the spirit of God came down on him like a dove. I mean, I was I was standing in the water right next to him, and are you? This is the thanks I get. This is what I get. Are you kidding me? Huh. I wonder where he'd be today if I if someone else would have baptized him. Hmm. Where would he be today? I wonder where he would be today if I if I if someone out there, you know. I didn't really like all those locusts I ate. That was the only thing I had to eat. I I would have preferred to have been hanging out in Jerusalem, eating eating from the finest tables. But I was out there in the wilderness. They thought I was mad. They thought I was crazy. They thought I would lost my rocker. But I did all that because I was the one to pave the way for him. And I paved the way, and now that he's here, he's just going to throw me off to the side? Are you kidding me? And then I tell him to come, and and he sends you back, and you don't even have any magic keys? Did he tell you to do anything else? I mean, come on, I mean, did he at least say, good job? I mean, did he at least tell me, good job? Did he at least give me something? Seriously, did I get anything out of this? Yeah, he told me to tell you something else. Oh, good. What is it? You know, tell me, you know, what what was it? Is he going to tell me, you know, good job. Hang in there. It's going to be okay. I love you, buddy. We'll hang out later. Um, No, he didn't tell me. Well, well, then what did he say? Um, He told me, blessed are those that are not offended in the way that I run their lives. I'd imagine when that was said by that servant that day that you could have heard a pin drop in that cell. Because John understood and knew by those words, his fate was sealed. His fate was sealed. There was no blessing coming. There was no have your best life now moment. There was no God's going to get you out of everything because you're just loved and highly favored, that you're his child, that he loves you, you're never going to go through anything. It was blessed are those that are not offended in a way around life. Can I tell you today, your life is bigger than you? God is not an accessory. God has not come to make your life a utopia that you never have a bad day, you never go through sickness, you never go through pain. That your kids never get sick. That your husband is perfect. Your wife is perfect. Your kids are perfect. Your parents are perfect. Your job is perfect. Your car never breaks down. Your house is a mansion that on a, you know, sits on the hillside. That you have money in the bank to take cruises and trips around the world and sit in a life of luxury. God may have chosen you, my friend, to live a life of pain. He may have chosen you to live a life of suffering. Can I be honest with you? Not every mountain you speak to moves. Not every mountain you speak to is thrown into the sea. You know what I found? If mountains, you know, maybe I'll preach a message one day called If Mountains Could Talk. Because you know what? Before I've tried that, I've said, you know what? I know what the word of God says. Listen to me, mountain. I say to you in the name of Jesus, because the Bible says if I have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, I can speak to you and you be cast into the sea. So hear me, Mr. Mountain. I speak to you right now and I command you, Mountain, be cast into the sea. And the Mountain looked back to me and went, Brrr. Oh man, I got even greater. I'm like, you know what? okay, all right. I see how it is. So I break out the long, you know, if you're really, if you're half serious, you say in Jesus' name, and then if you really want to break it up, you go, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get them extra words in there because they're more powerful. Nothing. And then if you really want to go all out, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You break the whole thing. Go back straight out of there. and Bring Nazareth into it because that always helps. Nothing. And then you go, what's up with this, God? And he looks down and says, I didn't tell you every mountain was gonna move. I just told you believe that every mountain was gonna move. But I didn't tell you it was gonna move. Because some mountains are not gonna move because I put those mountains there, and you can't move them because you can't move me. Woo! <laughs> hmm. I know we're a little late, but someone just got tk would right there. Jesus has said, Here's the problem: you're speaking to mountains that have not been placed there by life, by man. You're speaking of mountains, I've placed there. I've put mountains of pain. I've put mountains of disappointment. I've put mountains of, of struggle. I've put mountains of difficulty in your path. Not... To defeat you. But to challenge you. Because I'm not trying to make you. The best you can be. I'm trying to make you more like me. And there were some mountains. That I couldn't move. I couldn't move the mountain of the cross. I couldn't move the mountain of Gethsemane. I couldn't move the mountain of rejection. I couldn't move the mountain of hurt. I couldn't move the mountain of the things that I went through. I was hurt. I was rejected. I was despised by oh men. I could not move those mountains. But it was those mountains that led me to a cross. And it was the cross that led me to a grave but it was the grave that led me to resurrection it was a resurrection that led me to ascension it was ascension that led me to indwelling so that I instead of impacting one could impact the world if you are going to follow me there's some mountains that are not going to move you can pray and you can ask you can seek I even tried it I said to my father if it be your will have this mountain pass from me and my father said it's my mountain I'm not moving it And so, guess what I did? I took my cross and climbed up the mountain. You call it Calvary, but I call it a mountain. You call it Calvary, but I call it my mountain. Because it wasn't a mountain I could speak to and be removed. It was a mountain I had to climb. Because at the top of that mountain, it wasn't ascension, but it was death. But it was the death on top of the mountain that led me to live a life that I could dwell in you. We're trying to impact a world from the valley because we don't want to climb the mountain. We want to speak to the mountain. But my friend, can I tell you, take up your cross. Climb to the top of the mountain. On top of the mountain, it's not utopia. On top of the mountain, it's not euphoria. On top of the mountain, it's not celebration. On top of the mountain is where you place the cross. Because it's the cross that draws man. It was put on top of that hill 2,000 years ago, and for 2,000 years it hasn't been personality, it hasn't been church structure, it hasn't been music and smoke and mirrors that have drawn people. It has been the cross of Calvary that has drawn sinner after sinner to find their place to the cross of Calvary to lift their hands to that same cross and say, oh, wretched man that I am, would you forgive me, Jesus, for who I am, and that cross that was on that mountain flows bread with the blood that I shed that's been washing away for thousands of years the same cross and I want you to climb your mountain. Stop speaking to your mountain and start climbing your mountain because on the top of your mountain there's a tree, there's a cross, but the cross is the place where you can become the reflection of me. That's the problem today, my friend, is that we have produced a Christianity Void of the cross. We have. Produced a Christianity. That instead of putting. A cross on top of a hill. We've erected a throne. We've erected. A pinnacle. We want you to achieve your mountain. So you can become great. But Jesus climbed up a mountain. So he could die. He climbed up on a hill so he could die you call it Calvary he calls it a mountain so you want speak to your mountain but when your mountain doesn't move guess what that means God put it there for a purpose because this world is crying out for real and the realest thing that's ever been is the realness of the cross of Calvary where, where love and sovereignty came together, where the reality of the creation Creator being stripped away and being broken and bruised and killed for the creation so that the Creator could dwell inside of His creation. The cross is the greatest thing that has ever been in all of human history. If we're going to reach this world, we've got to embrace the lifestyle Of the cross. That doesn't mean we walk around moping. It doesn't mean what's wrong. I am just on the cross of Calvary. Because you know what comes after the cross? Resurrection. Resurrection. That's what Paul talked about. If I decrease, he increases. When I get the power of the resurrection, then no longer do people see me. They see him. have to embrace the lifestyle of the cross in our life because there's a world that is seeking for real. I finish with the words of Gandhi once again. We need a Christianity that looks a lot more like Jesus and a lot less like his followers. The further away the church got from christianity from jesus and the cross the further it got more and more like followers and a lot less like jesus and the impact of the church changed and then we see the rise of religion religion started to take its grip and religion mimics itself to be like jesus but really it's really just man's instituted way of controlling man we need the lifestyle of the cross Can I tell you today, whatever God's doing in your life to bring you to the end of yourself, would you accept that? Because God's not trying to punish you. He's trying to exalt you. James chapter 4, verse 10. He's trying to exalt you. But exalting must mean submit, to resist, so that you can cleanse your hands. Find a way out of the double-minded, the double lifestyle, that you can find him. And he can exalt you because the world is looking for the true and real thing. Father, you have spoken today. I've felt you speak these words. I have not spoken these words. In fact, the only thing I had was one scripture. The rest have all come from you. Have you spoken through me? Lord, I pray that not one word was added to or taken from today, but every word was spoken in truth and the purity of how you've spoken it. Lord, if I said anything incorrectly or if I said anything that was outside of your will, Lord, I pray that those would be erased out of the minds of those listening and only the words you spoke today would ring forth. But Lord, I can feel you pulling. I can feel you tugging. I can feel you standing at the door knocking on some today. You're knocking patiently. You're not beating the door down, but you're knocking patiently because you hear the cry of the hurting. You hear the cry of the broken. You hear the cry of the hungry. And you've chosen your church to be the conduit by which you reach the world. But Lord, forgive us that we've made the church look more like us and a lot less like you. Forgive us, God, that we've made the church look more like America and a lot less like Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, that we've tried to make the church look more like the current attitude and climate of this world and look less like you. But, Father, today I speak in the name of Jesus that there would be something birthed in Antioch West that we would become a church obsessed with reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. In everything we do, that we would be Jesus all the time. Not in just our actions, but in our hearts, in our spirits, in our attitudes, in who we are down to our DNA, that we would reflect you in everything we do. That it would be said of us, like it was said of your disciples, that we are ignorant and unlearned men, but we have been with Jesus. Let them see you more than they see us. Let them feel you more than they feel us. Let them not be drawn by preaching or by singing or by inspiration or by programs. But let them be drawn because they feel and see and know it's you. And they're seeking to know the reality of you. And if that's just in a house with a few people in a life group. Or it's in the largest auditorium in this county or in the state or in this country. It doesn't matter. But don't ever let us Reflect anything that's not purely you. From every leader to every member, every disciple of Antioch, in Antioch West, let them reflect who you are. Let them become our passion. And God, whatever you're doing in our lives, to let us decrease, that you must increase. I speak your grace. To, we accept and receive your grace today so that we can walk in the path you called. That we can climb the mountain. So we can climb the mountain with the cross. So we can be identified with you on the cross of Calvary and our own cross that we can be dead in you that you would live through us in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I would challenge you this week, spend some time with Jesus. Maybe reevaluate some things in your life that you thought were mountains to be removed but they're actually mountains to climb. Because those mountains you're climbing, there's a cross that's waiting for you, but not a cross of punishment, but a cross of elevation, of redemption. You're not crossing, you're crossing over. It's not a cross of ending, it's a cross of crossing over. Crossing over from self to Christ, for crossing over to, from natural to spiritual, crossing over from Joel to Jesus. It's a cross over. Climb the mountain, because it's a cross. God bless you. Hope to see some of you tonight, 7.30, right at home. God bless you. Let the Lord continue to speak in your life today. Let the Lord continue to talk to you today. He's talking. Are you listening? God bless you.